Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The midnight hour is I always liked this version this time of year. Of course, Halloween is tomorrow, or two days from now, I should say. So we got the we got the spooky rotator going, don't we, Trev? The spooky That is correct, sir. All right. The Vincent Price version of Seven Nation Army. Mitch and Steve here with you. Trevor Henry behind the glass. This is hour two, three hours today. We asked the boss kindly if we could uh, cover up the uh, opening between us and Sun Devil Football Network's pregame coverage. I think uh, this would be an interesting time for the Sun Devils. Listen, I know there's not a lot of excitement around the program right now, but there is a quarterback competition going on. Literally, we don't know who's starting today. There's an... I guess you could call him interim head coach who's taking over play calling duties on offense. There's there's a lot of interesting things happening in today's game that I'm excited to see how they shake out. Uh, but I, I realize that there's not a lot of optimism around the program right now. I mean, they have two wins. One of them came against Northern Arizona. And then the other one was a comeback win against Washington after they lost Emory Jones. They fired their head coach, uh, Herm Edwards. I, <laughs> I don't know. And then they went out after a week off and looked like great in the first half against Stanford and then miserable in the second half. I don't understand what I have to look forward to at this point. It just feels like an audition, and maybe that's why uh, interim coach Sean Aguano is doing the things he's doing, but here we are. We do still have the one constant in the Valley, and that seems to be the Phoenix Suns. Why we didn't think that they would just go back to doing the thing that they do best, which is beat opponents silly. I don't know. I don't know. There was a lot of offseason noise, but we're here and they're four and one, five games in. Ho hum, right? Uh, yeah, I think we, we spent so many months in the offseason talking about Kevin Durant and is he coming to Phoenix and how do we make it happen? And then DeAndre Ayton gets signed by the Pacers and then the Suns matched it. And there was all this drama around how do you improve the team because of the way that the postseason ended. Because right. you lose in a game seven, you're absolutely embarrassed at home by 100%. the Dallas Mavericks. 100%. And if it doesn't end that way, I wonder if we had treated the offseason a little bit different. Because all we did for months was talk about Kevin Durant and could he come to Phoenix and the drama in Brooklyn and all of that. And now you're starting to see a semblance of the same Suns team that we saw last regular season. And it had the long win streaks and came out totally on top at the end of the day. And in fairness, there are new pieces. Let's not let's not say this is exactly the same Suns team. Like they lost Javale McGee in the offseason. Jay Crowder is away from the team and Will Probably be, not coming back. Will be traded eventually. It feels like I don't think that there's going to be a rebuilding of that bridge at all. And the biggest question, and it's amplified a little more now after last night, was down low at the center position. Of course, you have DeAndre Ayton. He's your max player. You brought back Bismack Biombo, who filled in very, very nicely when Ayton was out, backing up JaVale McGee. And then you brought in Jock Landale in a trade with the Spurs who at the time you're like, okay, so he's 26 years old. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities with the Spurs, but he's played internationally, Australia, et cetera, et cetera. But guess what? Jock Landale has basically become the backup center to DeAndre Ayton. He's played in every game this year, at least double digits in minutes, and the point totals have started to increase, and his contributions on the floor have been tremendous so far to start this year. Yeah, my only complaint is stop taking three-pointers. 
But he's <laughs> pretty decent at that. Uh, when he's shooting 14% from deep yeah, right now. Yeah, blah, blah. Which for a center, I mean, like, I, personal opinion, I don't think that he, even DeAndre Ayton, I know he's been working on three-pointers. He's like, just uncomfortable with big men shooting threes. Not all of them. Not all of them. I mean, I grew up in a in a Dallas town that was, you know, the whole team was based on Dirk Nowitzki, who's right. one of the greatest shooters of all time. Neither of these guys are him. Um, there are certain guys, Towns, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, that's a guy who I let shoot threes. Anthony Davis, that's a guy I let shoot threes. This, if this is my only complaint about Jack, uh, Jock Landale so far, then I think we're okay. Because he and Bismack Biombo have played very well. Biombo has the second highest field goal percentage on the team behind only Torrey Craig, who just went absolutely nuts. <laughs> he was six for six last night. Right. Ho-hum. Uh, Biombo and Landale have two of the highest, the two highest blocks per 36 minutes, which means they're defending the rim effectively, even better than DeAndre Ayton when he was on the floor. Yeah. And Biombo, I don't have any complaints about him other than he's averaging eight fouls per 36 minutes, which is more than the <laughs> allotted a, six. It's a lot of fouls. Um, but if he is able to kind of tame that a little bit, I, I don't have many complaints about these two guys filling in. So here's why it matters, and apologies for bearing the lead, but DeAndre Ayton left the game last night due to what was a ankle sprain. Uh, he did not play the second half. Monty Williams did not have an affini- a definitive update Excuse me, after the game. And to my knowledge, we've seen nothing new today regarding Aiton's health. So the assumption is is that he's going to be out for their next game, which is coming up in just a couple of days. And you're going to have to rely on the services of Bismack Biombo and Jock Landell. One of them's going to have to start on Sunday against the Rockets. Biombo got a majority of those minutes with the uh, first team uh, yesterday in the second half. But Landell has been serviceable as well. The thing that interests me with Biombo, and it's not like you need to rotate in three centers every game. Biombo had seven minutes against the Mavs, had a zeros stat line against Portland. And this last night was his first game since. And he played exceptionally for his role. 11 points, 13 boards in 23 minutes. Yeah, he had five fouls. He had yeah. two assists and two blocks. But to your point, he's shooting effectively, efficiently, and he's providing them exactly what they need. And if Aiton's going to be out for a while, you have to feel confident in these two. And when you talk about uh, who starts versus who comes off the bench, I don't think it really matters between Biombo and Lando. I think they're going to split it. Maybe not 50-50, but Biombo does have the experience of being in this locker room for a longer period of time. He signed on, wasn't it a 10-day contract originally last year? And a then couple of 10 days, I He believe. got a second one, and then eventually he gets added to the postseason roster. I mean, like, he earned it. 100%. And has become somewhat of a fan favorite in Phoenix over the last year or so. And so, a great humanitarian as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that Biombo probably deserves the start. I still expect to see a lot of Landell. Maybe we see more of Saric, who hasn't played a lot to this point. That'll in the be season. the wild card. He hasn't played at all. Yeah. Five games in. So I, I don't know, man. I'm actually pretty okay with them having to hold the fort down without Aiton for a couple of games, if it is that. Worth noting, this is just generally speaking about sprained ankles. They can all be different, of course, but generally speaking, they take a couple of days to heal, to recover from. So, it's not a long-term injury, typically. So we're hopeful, and it's not like Aiton's build is very top-heavy or anything, so it it's not like a Zion, and he comes down and he rolls his foot, and like that's a lot of weight to put down on that ankle, or Anthony Davis last year when he would get hurt. That was a lot of weight to put down. Aiton is rather well built from a physique standpoint, and maybe it'll only be a day or two or 
even fewer. Who knows? Now, the other thing that is kind of inspiring when you look at the box score from last night's game is that the Pelicans got out-rebounded by the Suns, 47-33. to Now, if you remember back to the first-round series that these two teams played in the postseason this past season, the Pelicans were really good down low. That was their strong suit. They had uh, Jonas Valanciunas, who played last night. Uh, he was very effective in that playoff series. Mm-hmm. You had Jackson Hayes was very good. Larry Nance Jr. Larry Nance Jr. So... My point being that last night's game went a little different than that playoff series did. Now, granted, no Zion in this game, no Brandon Ingram in this game. But also, looking at that box score for the Suns and looking specifically at rebounds, yes, Biombo had a huge night, 13 rebounds. That's big. But aside from him, the next leading rebounders were Chris Paul and Devin Booker with five each. (laughs) Which means that the rest of the team filled out the roster with two, two, three, six, three, two, two. Like, there's a lot of guys getting a couple of rebounds, and that's how they were able to accomplish that last night. It's a good little bit of distribution. Well, it'll be curious Tory to see. Craig had six, by the way. I, I said that Paul and Booker had the next highest. He had a line of Craig. sixes. Six for six, six boards. Yeah. Tory Craig was great last night. Good outing. Coming up next, this is a message to all baseball teams. Not just the one here in the Valley. All baseball teams. You have no more excuses to not try. I'll explain what I mean next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It is Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us. Steve and Mitch on Arizona Sports Saturday. It's college football Saturday still, but also the good part about late October is that you have many sports going on. There's something for everybody right now, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, or even the World Series. Oh, I thought you were going to say Ohio State football. Oh, no. Although I am watching that with a keen eye. But no, I, I'm talking about baseball, which is a sport that you and I both love. And love it. The World Series has begun. The Philadelphia Phillies take game one against the Houston Astros. In Houston, by the way. What a great game that was last six night. Six to five. I think it was a good game. And I, I think there's something to be said about the new playoff format, which I was a fan of. Not necessarily adding more teams. I've never really been a fan of that, but I'm a fan of not having to play a one-game play-in, the wild-card games, because that always messes up your rotation for the first round. And then you're, if you're a wild-card team and you do advance, then that makes you susceptible in the, the next round. But I think there is something to be said about this new playoff format that can create opportunities. You look at what the Phillies are accomplishing. I mean, they're a sixth seed. They had a miserable September, and they found their way in because the Milwaukee Brewers were just as bad. So as a result, the Phillies took advantage. And look at where they are now, as you said. Houston Astros, they're the quintessential, like, oh, we're the best team in our league, and we're just going to pummel you. And they did for about three innings when they were up 5 nothing on the Phillies. They had swept their way to the World Series, something that only a few teams have done, but not many teams have succeeded at finishing the job. Most recently, the 2014 Royals, who lost the World Series to the Giants. But the argument that I made going into the break of you cannot you cannot make excuses anymore. Like, there's no reason you can't try. The Phillies at the trade deadline were active. They had they, just just on the outset. Think about everything that Philly has done this year. They started miserably, right? 
after just signing the Castellanos, after just signing Kyle Schwarber. Like, they made some big offseason acquisitions. And they were miserable. So what did they do? They fired their manager, Joe Girardi. Rob Thompson helped turn this team around, and they went scorching through the months leading up to September. Trade deadline. They acquired David Robertson, a solid relief pitcher. Noah Syndergaard, a decent arm, but he's going to be relied upon heavily in this World Series. And then you got Brandon Marsh, a center fielder who very much fixes the defensive woes out there and is a good solid bat at the bottom of the lineup. They tried, but they were also staring up at the Braves and the Mets ahead of them in the division. So this is my message to other baseball teams out there. You have a format now. Six teams make it, and you at least get to play two games if you do as the lowest seed. You at least get to play two games. You have no excuse to not try anymore. Zero. So, like, one of our favorite days of the season is the trade deadline, speculation leading up to it. There is no reason that a team that is going to guaranteed get a wild card spot should not try and be aggressive at the trade deadline to be better. And to your point, it's not like wild card teams had zero success before the expanded playoffs. I, I can agree that the wild card teams have a better position now than ever before. 100%. But you talk about the Washington Nationals in 2019. You talk about the San Francisco Giants in 2014, the Cardinals in 11, the Red Sox in 04, the Angels in 02, uh, the Marlins in 97 and 03. And I think one of those was, at least one of those, was a Dave Dombrowski Marlins team. 97. Who is, who is now the GM of the Phillies, the Phillies. Or the president of baseball operations. He calls yeah, the shots. Thing. And Dombrowski is the kind of guy that never doesn't go for it. If that makes sense. Oh, he's always aggressive. Same he's way when he was in Detroit, when he had those Tigers teams that were at the top of the American League for a good half of the decade. Absolutely. What's a prospect? Seriously. I don't need a prospect. Trevor Henry certainly doesn't know what Tigers prospects are. He might now, but... The well, one thing that I I did kind of worry about for the Phillies uh, leading into the playoffs was that their rotation is essentially Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. And those two guys are great. But beyond that, I didn't have a lot of confidence in anybody else. I think, though, we're, comparis- we're comparing it to the rotation they're facing now. The Astros, which yeah. Which is like literally five or six dudes who on any given night can go five innings and shut you down. Yeah, I mean, the Astros might have had three of the best ten pitcher- starting pitchers in all of the American League this Justin year. Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez, and Christian Javier was Phenomenal. Plus a guy year. like Lance McCullers, who ha- certainly has the experience having been here before with the Astros. Luis Garcia with his rocking the baby motion as he goes into his his windup. And a dominant bullpen that has more guys in it than I can even list for you. So, yeah, the Astros are far and away the deepest team in the league. And I think the team that probably we all could have agreed with deserved to be in the World Series this year. Sure. The Phillies are not that team. No. They, were, they had 87 wins. That's not special. No. It's really not. But it's not out of the ordinary for teams that make it this far. Right. And so to your point, wild cards are more valuable now than they ever have been before. And we're back to the weakest division winner has to play a wild card series. Right. Which is essentially now the first round. I think we can just call that the first round because yeah, it is yeah. a legit series now. It's not a one game play in. It's, it's the first round if you're playing in it. But like. For the teams that got buys, is it the second round or is it their first round? Either, Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's semantical. But, again, the argument remains. Like, the Phillies tried. The Phillies spent money in the offseason. Sure did. They aggressively fired their manager after a miserable start. 
and they aggressively acquired at the deadline, and look what it has brought them. They've lost, if I'm not mistaken, two playoff games. Two. Anybody can do it. There's no reason you can't try. I think this is maybe the best possible matchup we could have gotten. I know that a lot of people will cry foul with the Dodgers, and that you know the Dodgers were the best team in the regular season. They deserve to go to the World Series. But the truth of the matter is, you got to win when it matters most. We've learned that as Suns fans, have we not? You can win the yeah, regular just season, you're the and that's best fine. Team doesn't mean you deserve anything. Right, right. It comes down to who wins the last game in those series and moves on to the next one. And now, I think this is a really exciting World Series matchup. I know that the majority of the country is probably rooting for the Phillies because so many people can't get past the 2017 cheating scandal for the Astros. Which I'm kind of over at this point, and I'm a baseball purist. You I'm know, I'm not going to say me, I'm but, over it. I will say, am I going to be upset if they win at all? No, not really. I won't be because I realize that this is the most complete team in the game. They built an organization that just churns out contenders every year. And it's widely some of the same guys all the time. They Jose Altuve, well, Scoutwell, Bregman, Pena's homegrown. Uh, they plucked Jordan Alvarez from the Dodgers, but it's not like he was amazing with the Dodgers. So no. here's the other thing, too. Like Springer's gone. Correa's gone. Correct. And you're thinking, oh, they're going to fall apart. Granky leaves. Oh, they're going to fall apart. Cole, are you kidding Cole. me? Look at them. They just continue. Ho-hum. They just continue to punk every team in baseball. Something to keep your eye on, too. Oz Ocampo, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, was a member of the Astros front office. Mm-hmm. He recently, this week, a couple days ago, uh, took a job as the assistant GM under Kim Ng in Miami. He is widely credited with finding these guys like Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, Jordan Alvarez, he advocated for when the Dodgers ended up getting him, and then eventually the Astros acquire him. This is the guy who built a Houston Astros contender year after year after year, and now he's with the Marlins. I find that a little bit interesting. And that's a team, as you and I have discussed outside of conversations, they just churn out pitching prospects year after year. You're talking about the Marlins? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not like they already they had like a bad I mean, foundation to start. I mean, with. another part of it is they make good trades. Like they, they got Sandy Alcantara in the trade with the with the with the St. Louis Cardinals to off Marcelo Zuna. They got Zach Gallon in that trade too. The Marlins know what they're doing, and I think adding him just helps to add that pitching. By the way, <laughs> Jordan Alvarez was traded for right-handed pitcher Josh Fields. How'd that turn out? I don't know. Just ask, saying. Ask Josh Fields. Hey, coming up next. So have the Cardinals officially got their offense together or what? We're going to evaluate that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. That's us. Thank you, big voice. We really appreciate it. Trevor Henry is taking care of things behind the glass. We've got about an hour and a half. We are... We're in good company today. We're taking you right up to Arizona State football pregame coverage. The great Jeff Munn just passed by the window, waved high. Well, he didn't wave high. He was actually spooked by our appearance, apparently. He wasn't ready for us to pee in He was shocked that we were his lead-in. <laughs> he wasn't ready. What are we going to do? Uh, the Arizona Cardinals. They are... I'm seeing pictures from the team's Twitter account. Apparently, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and... Is that Zach Allen? No, that's not Zach Allen. Is it Zach Allen? I'm not sure. Three members of the Cardinals all wore the same exact sweater that have it's it's a full zip. Let me see if I can like turn on the monitor. plane. 
Yeah, so like oh, okay. they have the full zip, and then they've got the two pockets in front, and the Cardinals logos on one, and the eighteen ninety eight and the other. I think eighteen ninety eight is when they <laughs> became a football. I remember club. it like it was yesterday. Oh man, I'm very old. Aren't you hilarious? Yeah, Steve turned thirty today. By the way, wish him a happy birthday if you can. At Steve underscore Zen. Oh, I appreciate that. That's right. I just threw that out there. Anyway, so the Cardinals are on their way to Minnesota. And the last game that they played feels like forever ago. It was last Thursday. Yes. So we haven't seen them in a while, about 10 days. The team that they're facing hasn't played in about a week plus because they had their bye, the Minnesota Vikings. But the big story for us and the Cardinals really is the offense. DeAndre Hopkins comes back. He gets 10 catches. He gets targeted a lot. He very much becomes a focal point of the offense. But if you get down to the nitty-gritty of their 42 points, it was only 16 by off or 18 by members of the offense. It's not as bright and shiny as you would think. Yeah, I guess that's true, and, and that's bound to happen when you have two pick-sixes, right? Yeah. Especially right at the end of the first half, I guess right. it was. Yeah, looking back at the, at the offense specifically, DeAndre Hopkins makes his first start. You mentioned the 10 catches, 103 yards. But also, too, it's worth noting, 14 targets. The second highest targeted player was Eno Benjamin with five. And that's obviously huh. checkdowns. Uh-huh. They're not running routes for Eno Benjamin specifically. So I don't think so. I think the offense was almost entirely DeAndre Hopkins, if you want to look at it that way. The passing attack, I should say. Because Eno did have a pretty good game on the ground. 12 carries, 92 yards, and a he touchdown. Did. Uh, Kyler Murray got out and ran a little bit, seven carries for 30 yards. So this offense was really DeAndre Hopkins the first week that he was back. What does that lead us to believe? I mean, I asked the question, uh, I was hosting the postgame show, filling in for Tim Ring right after the game before that, when Hollywood Brown went down with an injury. And all we were talking about was the quick turnaround for Thursday night football against the Saints and how if you don't have Brown, now all of a sudden Hopkins isn't adding to your offense. He's just just replacing him. Yep. And now we kind of have our answer, right? Like DeAndre Hopkins fits perfectly in this offense. We knew he would. And they're clearly going to him a lot. But without Brown... I mean, it just baffles the mind to think about what this offense could potentially be if every single player was healthy. And I like that the frustration still remains. You had six opportunities to prove that DeAndre Hopkins was not the one and only reason why the offense hums. They really didn't prove anything. They didn't do anything. It doesn't feel like that anyway. There's the other theory that it's just offense itself across the NFL is... Struggling. Down. I mean, if you ask Kyler Murray about it, he was asked about it at his Wednesday presser. He was asked, why do you feel like offense is down in the NFL this year? Maybe defenses are, you know, a lot of too high, a lot of, you know, shell coverage and stuff like that, making people check the ball down, take the underneath stuff, which I know we've had to deal with that. Um, I, I think I would do the same if I, you know, if I was a defensive coordinator, kind of a, a bend but don't break type of mentality. Make these, you know, all these. There's so many great athletes on offense, so many great players in today's league, so competitive that um, I think you know it's tough to put guys in you know situations where they're playing man or um, where they can get beat. So you know, I would, yeah, I, I, uh, I would probably do the same. So he has a point, but then here's my counter. Okay, go out and do something that the defense can't cover then. Do your chunk plays, throw over the middle of the field, do some out routes to the outside and make it make it even more impossible for the defense to figure out what you want to do. Run the ball more. I don't know. Look at the Seattle Seahawks. Look at how well their offense has been working this year. 
Everybody's like, oh my God, they traded away Russell Wilson. Geno Smith might start. Drew Locke might start. They have one of the best offenses in football right now. And it's because they're all they're doing all the little things right. They're taking advantage of what the defenses are all adjusting to, which is in baseball, it's the no doubles defense. In football, it's the no big plays. None of the over 20-yard stuff. we got to keep it short and concise and really in front of us. We can't let anything get past us. Yeah, and the Cardinals just don't really run an offense that's conducive to the short game, I feel like. It was an observation that I made during the Seattle game in particular because of the way that Geno Smith and their offense runs. When you juxtapose the two of them, Geno Smith is playing in rhythm. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's playing better than the other team. It's just it's just, it's just a different style. So what that means is you hike the ball, you take your three-step drop or whatever it may be, and when you reach the end of your drop is when you release the football and it times up with the routes. Right. Usually meaning the routes that are being run end somewhere specifically. Now, usually that's to be a zone defense, but it can alter. The Cardinals, if you look at the route trees that Hollywood Brown was running before and that DeAndre Hopkins is running now— the routes don't often end. They're not running to a specific point and stopping and catching the ball in rhythm. Most of their routes that they run don't end. You just keep going, whether it's a uh, field cross or if it's a corner route or if it's a deep dig or a post route. They run a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily have an end point to it. And a lot of that goes back to the fact that Kyler Murray extends plays. If you run a lot of stuff that's in rhythm... And you don't really have a rhythm quarterback because once he hikes the ball, a lot of the time Kyler Murray's just kind of, he looks almost frazzled, not in a, I don't know what to do kind of way, but in a, I could go a bunch of different directions right now kind of way. Well, I look at it too as he doesn't give himself enough time in the pocket. And maybe that's because the pocket collapses before he even has a chance to stay in it. It's part of it. So as a result, the routes just kind of break off into, oh, Kyler's in scramble mode. I better just find a portion of the grass where he can see me. And that's a big part of it too. Can he see me? Think about DeAndre Hopkins. He's what, 6'4"? I'll, I'll look it up. But Think yeah, about Robbie there. Anderson. Robbie Anderson's what, like close to 6'4"? Built with speed? Zach Ertz is a big target in the middle of the field. Trey McBride, they drafted a big target. Hopkins is 6'1". I thought he was taller than I that. I thought he was taller than that, too. How tall is um, Robbie Anderson, if you have it nearby you? Oh, he's taller, chance. for sure. He is... Robbie Anderson, 6'3". Six, 6'3". Three. Six, three. Okay, so you have taller targets. And weighs about 95 pounds. And let's, <laughs> he and is a stick. Let me, let me compare. I'm 5'7". He's listed as 5'10". I'm not going to have a much better time trying to see over five really tall dudes with helmets on either. I've never really put much stock into the whole can you see over the offensive line thing. Because, I mean, like, at but, this point in last season, six, seven weeks into the season, we were talking about Kyler Murray being an MVP candidate. It's not like he's incapable of doing it. We've seen it work before. You see my point? It's worked, but this is just, this This is what the defenses are doing now. They're forcing you to use that open part just right in front of you. And because the offenses that adjust know that, they do a lot more shotgun. They do a lot more play action. They try to get the defense off of their heels. And as a result, you have more freedom to use the open parts of the field. And the Cardinals offense, I don't think they can do that because, again, as somebody who is shorter than Kyler, I don't think he can see that area in the pocket. I do think, too, 
And I'm going to try to find it quickly. But I do think, too, that there's an element of the right side of the field not being utilized perfectly. I realize this is radio and I can't show you all this. But this is – I've pulled up the sh- uh, the completion chart for the Seattle game for Hollywood Brown and, and – uh, and Kyler Murray. If you look at what they were doing with Hollywood Brown in the offense, most of the completions are either short stuff within five yards of the line of scrimmage, whether it's in front of or behind the like line of scrimmage. barely beyond the line of scrimmage. Or it's deep to the left side of the field. There is an, a clear absence of completions beyond five yards on the right side of the field, on that half of the field. Now, that's just one game. But the truth of the matter is, A.J. Green has not... He doesn't have a lot of catches. He doesn't have a lot of yards. He really hasn't been impressive. And because A.J. Green plays on that side of the field and Hopkins and Brown have mostly played on the left or on the right slot, that side of the field is not getting the attention that it deserves because I think A.J. Green and Kyler Murray, for whatever reason, whoever we want to blame, whatever reason you want to label it with, they're just not completing passes on the right side of the field. And when you eliminate half of the football field or a third, if you want to count between the hash marks, that limits you offensively, dramatically. And I think that's something that maybe will be addressed. I don't I don't know if that means Rondale Moore plays instead of A.J. Green or if Robbie Anderson just takes over for A.J. Green's role. There's rumors now that the Packers might be interested in A.J. Green. I don't know what you're going to get for him. Late round picked at, at best, probably. But... I think that that's really hindered their offense as well. Plus the rotation of guys now being injured. Coming up next, think about everything that happened this offseason. How scared we were. Fast forwards now and they're the best team in the West. Why did we not see this coming? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It is Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We're taking you up to 2 o'clock when the ASU pregame show will begin. Jeff Munn is in the building. We're excited to see what they have in store for us tonight. Um, last night, Phoenix Suns, they move up to 4-1. and one. They beat the Pelicans, which is a team they struggled with in the first round of the postseason last this past year, this past summer, I guess. And... It deserves some context, last night's game. No Zion, which seems like he barely plays basketball anymore. Can, can we agree on one thing? Sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. I I was really hoping for a fully healthy team in the it Pelicans. Would have made for a more exciting match. And we matchup. missed out on Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, who are like right. two of the key cogs of this Pelicans team that we're going to be seeing for quite a few years. So am I upset that we didn't get the full compliment of the Pelicans? Yeah, kind of, because I would have been more excited about last night's game. I don't know if upset is the right word, because, I mean, like, as a Suns fan, you do want to win the game. So, the weaker the other team is, the better, I guess. Like, 100%. I want them to win. Yeah. But I also want them to win against the other best players in the league. It would have been cool, too, because... I don't know that anybody made this argument in Phoenix after they beat the Pelicans in the series last year, but I'm sure a lot of people in New Orleans thought, you know what, we put up a really good fight, and that was without Zion, who is, without a doubt, their highest potential player. I don't know that I would say he's their best player right now, but he's probably got the highest ceiling. And so, yeah, I'm with you. If they had shown up healthy last night, I think that that would have made for a better matchup. And if the Suns were able to beat a fully healthy Pelicans team, it would have gone a long way in convincing me that, yes, this this for sure feels right. It feels good. Now, 
The headline that you're going to read today, and you can read it at ArizonaSports.com right now, is that DeAndre Ayton went down with an ankle injury yesterday. Looks like a sprained ankle. We have not heard an update from Monty Williams yet, but sprained ankles are typically a couple of days, not a couple of weeks. Um, But we might be without DeAndre Ayton for a couple of games, or a game maybe. Or he might be ready to go. Who knows? You know what? I feel okay. Whereas, start of the season, if you'd have told me, oh, they're going to be without DeAndre Ayton before I've even seen this team play, I would have responded differently. Right now, I'm good. I'm good. You know why? Because we got Jock Landale. You know why? Because we got Bismack Biombo, baby. Which, like, you say that out of context and everybody's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, those Jock, aren't great players. Who's Jock Landale? Well, I'll tell you who Jock Landale is. He's become the backup center to Ayton. Bismack Biombo got his first minutes in really the whole season. He had seven minutes against the Mavs, but he had 23 last night filling in for Aiton, getting to run with the ones. And you know what? He held his own. And I was kind of worried about it, given that he wasn't getting the minutes. Like, hey, is Bismack Biombo going to be okay? Oh, yeah, he was more than okay. 23 minutes, he shot five of seven. He grabbed 13 rebounds, four of them on offense, by the way. He assisted two buckets, he blocked two attempts, and he scored 11 points. That's that's all you can ask for, especially for a fill-in big. But he's going to be a key cock for them, at least on Sunday against the Rockets. Yeah, I would expect that they'll probably give him a start. He's been around longer than Landale has, so he's a little bit more comfortable at least. But Biombo's got the second highest field goal percentage which means offensively he's doing things the right way. Defensively, he and Landale both have higher blocks per 36 minutes than Aiton does, which means they're protecting the rim very effectively. The so, whole team's really protecting the rim well. Yeah. And then they're taking advantage of the rim on the other end. Like, there was a fascinating conversation with Burns and Gambo earlier this week about how Devin Booker's just attacking the rim more. And he's taking advantage of these open lanes that the defense is they're, they're just giving him. And he's taking it to the rim and putting it in. And I hate to kind of tie that back to one moment, but I was at that game seven against the Mavericks. And I know there were a lot of things that went wrong in that game, but it sure felt to me like the team was resting on their laurels and relying on threes and relying on, okay, we're not getting to the bucket. So we're going to have to take some ill-advised shots and maybe some three pointers that are contested. And I know this is a slightly different Suns team this year. Like we mentioned earlier, Jay Crowder is not a part of this team right now and probably won't be going forward. Uh, The bench is certainly different with Landale instead of McGee, and there's a couple of other newer pieces. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not the exact same team, but for the most part, the core is the same. Right? How will they play differently is a good question. We talked earlier with uh, our lead editor at ArizonaSports.com, Kevin Zimmerman. He also is half of the Empire of the Suns podcast, which does a great job of covering all things Suns. Fantastic Better than we could ever do. And in talking with him about Chris Paul... Chris Paul, last night, if you want to just kind of use one game to encapsulate what's going on. He was, I wouldn't use this game if I wanted to encapsulate good. He was for sure. one for seven from the floor. Sure, he still had nine assists, which is pretty good. But he played 31 minutes and wasn't very effective offensively. A lot of people are going to look at the box scores for the first five games of the season and say, Chris Paul seems to be regressing. And this is coming off of a postseason where Chris Paul regressed. And even sooner, this is coming off of a Warriors game where he was 4 or 5 from 3. True. Like, which Chris Paul are we going to get? Or the argument that now has been created is like, are they doing this by design? Yeah, and my question, too, is going forward, do you kind of hold him back a little bit? 
And, and with that, he played 31 minutes last night. That's not exactly he's holding. He's not being held back. He's not playing 15 minutes a game or anything like that. But right. play along for a second. They realized last season that being the number one seed, while valuable, is not the end of the world. You don't get a trophy at the end of the year for being the best team in the league in the regular season. Well, I mean, in general, neither one seed made it to the finals. And I I think we kind of, did we ever definitively come to the agreement that there was a COVID situation during the Maverick series? But Chris Paul wasn't healthy. I'll leave it at that. Forget about that for a second. And there was serious regression. And because they went all out on their starters at the end of the season, they had less in the tank. And therefore, the guys on the bench didn't get the opportunities to get into a rhythm heading into the postseason. When you needed the most. And I think that the Suns are rectifying that, at least early in the season right now, it seems like they're trying to get other guys involved. Mikel Bridges leads the team in scoring last night with 27 points. He's the fourth leading scorer on the team last year. And he's good at scoring. He's good at it. Uh, We talked with Kevin Zimmerman about how he takes on such a huge role defensively. Is it fair to even rely on Bridges to score this much? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know either, but another thing that I like about this early season... So they're four and one. I I half lied. They're not the best team in the West. They're behind the Portland Trailblazers by a half game who are five and one. So the difference is literally Portland has played one more game, but the idea is still there. They're one of the best point differential on average teams in the league through their first five games. And it's not like they're just getting anybody. Dallas, Portland, who as I mentioned is five and one. The Clippers, who Everybody has tabbed them to get back to it with Kawhi Leonard back, but he's already heard, like, oh my gosh, it's already a mess in um, second L.A. Golden State, the reigning champions, and then this Pelicans team that really made a name for themselves in that first round of the playoffs. Even after that, Houston might be the first weak link that they're going to face. But then you got Minnesota, you've got a back-to-back with Portland at home, and then you go on the road and take on Philly, Minnesota, Orlando and Miami before having to host Golden State again. Like, they're not getting just like a sampling. They're getting a full on platter of opportunities to prove that they're still the Suns. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about where this team stands going forward in the next couple of weeks. And that could be without DeAndre Ayton for a game or two, or maybe more, or maybe he's ready to go. But I think that we've certainly seen in the first five games that this team more resembles last year's regular season team than the one that lost to the Mavericks in the playoffs. Or even take the application if they are doing something with Chris Paul, and you don't even rush DeAndre Ayton back. You might not have to. You might take a loss or two here and there, but you don't necessarily have to put Aiton on the floor if he's not ready to go. Coming up next, Cardinals transactions come down around this time every Saturday uh, leading up into their game on Sunday. We're going to have the absolute latest for you on Cardinals and their roster movement. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.